as we as we fix technical issues because of course we only tested this in in very passing before it actually happened we're gonna basically talk about three things today um we're, we're gonna talk about the mercer street attack we're gonna talk about asphalt princess and we're also gonna sort of kick on afghanistan the taliban china the various stuff that's happened over the past week that sort of got thrown into the back of everything um just due to the nature of afghanistan's um precocious neighbor um to the west so I think let's just start on um on on Mercer Street. Thanks everyone for joining. Um in the bunker. So, um from what we know, uh just starting off the attack um was perpetrated by Iran. That's what most of the evidence shows um at this point. Um we have a good idea um of the drone that was used of, you know, how it was used most likely um i'm gonna uh just start off by saying we know that a british uh one british uh sailor was killed a security guard and also a romanian national as well um so that's definitely um something that was incredibly sad to see um the israel says that the attack was carried out by iran um uh, we also uh, have uh, evidence that the drone was, and I'm going to post um, a good thread in chat from uh, Elant News um, about uh, uh, the drone that was used. It it looks like it was uh, Shahed uh, 136. Um, it's this Delta Wing drone that we've um, that Iran has definitely demonstrated in the past against a, a number of different targets. It has a really good range. Um, which the Houthis have used numerous times to attack uh, targets all over Saudi Arabia, um, including uh, sites around uh, southern Saudi Arabia and actually going as far north um, as Riyadh. Um, and of course, these are, these are fairly small drones. They're, they're relatively hard to actually shoot down, um, not so much because they have stealthy characteristics um, per se, um, more just because they're so small. Um, that it, it's sort of hard for conventional systems to detect and uh, shoot them down. So that's something that the U.S. has actually been working on, uh, figuring out how to counter. Um, and then I'm also going to um, post a great thread um, from Putin is Virus, who also runs the um, uh, the OSINT editor channel, um, which I do work with frequently, um, going over the logistics of how an attack like that would work. Basically, um, there's only a set amount of range uh, that that we could actually see coming from um, uh, Iran, and the the ship was further away than that. So they most likely actually used a um, uh, another drone as a repeater station, or they were using a um, small ship as a repeater station as well. This sort of just demonstrates that it, it, this is a fairly advanced attack, um, and it's definitely, I guess, an example of. Uh, how smaller nations have gained the ability to strike targets very, very far away um, with relatively amazing precision. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just kick it down to you guys to sort of discuss the ramifications of this attack as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we knew 
this kind of an attack was going to come at some point. Um, I think we all agreed uh, in a previous episode of the podcast that uh, the US reaction to Iran's behaviour in the past has been somewhat subdued, um, laid back, and that it's really been Israel that's been pushing for Iran to be dealt with appropriately for their behaviour. Um, and I think now we're seeing that Iran uh, is feeling a little bit bolder. Um, when the initial reports came in about, obviously, the incident yesterday as well, um, there were reports of as many as four ships potentially targeted. And that's yeah, I mean, concern for you know the US, the UK, pretty much every nation that uses those shipping lanes or that has an issue with Iran. Absolutely, and at the same time, a lot of the response that we've seen, at least coming um, from the US right now, seems to be putting the onus for response on the UK and Israel. Um, I, I sort of I I spent a bit too long yesterday um, watching some press conferences at both uh, State Department and um, and uh, the Pentagon. The Pentagon was mainly focused on the the shooting yesterday, um, which doesn't seem like it was a terror attack at all. Um, so just to just to clarify that for anyone who is wondering, um, but but the State Department and and the State Department spokesman seem to really be harping on the fact that basically there's nothing that Iran can really do to poke any nations or at least the u.s into directly responding right now um the u.s seems to be mostly focused on getting some sort of nuclear deal signed um so that that's that's definitely something that that the u.s is trying to move forward with um uh, the the statements that we also saw specifically about um a, a how do I put this? Um, uh, letting the UK take the lead, at least from what I saw, um, UK action um, would have to be assisted by the US um, mainly, just just because of the nature of of how any response um, would happen, and putting the onus almost entirely on the UK to develop and then lead a response um, to any sort of attack like this, sort of is also trying to make it so that any response will be as small as possible. Um, so that's, that's definitely something that we're faced with going into the future. Um, and then on top of that, of course, the, the insist, the insistence by the U S right now, or the current administration that a nuclear deal is the best way to progress. Um, even though the Iranians have made it fairly clear, um, at this point that they want to develop a nuclear weapon and that they will. Um, but I, I, it's just it's a very very difficult situation to watch and to um and and to see happen from from what it looks like externally um the US really doesn't want things to escalate Israel cannot let Iran acquire nuclear weapons and Britain is sort of stuck in the middle of gauging what type of response um they're sort of going to put together and I think at this point the UK will color any future response and there's a lot of questions about whether or not they can give credence to any sort of israeli response because we we know the israelis are gunning for some sort of of serious response as seen 
by um, uh, Foreign Minister Gantz, who is literally speaking at the UN right now. Um, and he just said uh, Iran is about 10 weeks away um, from acquiring enough uh, highly enriched nuclear material to acquire a, a nuclear weapon or, or to build a nuclear device. Um, and, you know, the Israeli position is, of course, the Iranians are never going to be allowed to get a nuclear weapon. Um, so that's 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 a big thing that that will color um their potential response as well and and it looks like they're they're trying to um to set up some sort of i don't know cautious belly for um a response uh, they're they're trying to um to sort of to sort of justify the any potential action they'll take against iran granted at the same time um yeah i i've talked with uh, israelis and basically the the first priority is not letting iran get a, get a nuclear weapon sort of any pr and any sort of um international relation issues come after that um so you 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 have to sort of remember that's that's where their their established base is yeah and obviously we've we've had the announcement today haven't we that um iran is as little as 10 weeks away from a nuclear weapon um which is obviously a huge concern and no doubt something the israelis intend to uh, raise at the un today um along with raising everything else that has gone on mm -hmm. um yeah and and we we also did see um iran uh sort of after uh the threats came out from israel and the uk about about properly responding um to the mercer street attack especially um the um uh the uh british the head of the british army um uh, uh sir nick carter um saying that the uk must retaliate against iran um we we did see this um uh that this not threats per se, but but more uh, reiterating of established understanding that Iran has the ability to, um, I, how, how do I put this? Uh, not not shut down trade in the region, but make it financially impossible. All they would have to do is attack a few ships, and insurance rates would become uh, practically impossible to pay um, for most of these shipping companies. Um, we, we've also seen, uh, of course, uh, container units have gone up insanely in prices. Basically, to put it all together, this is not a time where you want extra stress on the, the global trade system, the global trade network. Um, and, and I think Iran knows this, and I, I think the U.S. and the U.K. understands this as well. Um, so this is definitely something that everyone has an understanding of and no one really wants to make the first move iran will continue to uh, of course do their standard um terror actions in in the region um as we saw especially with the asphalt princess attack um but it's it's sort of this um this this status quo and, and everyone is waiting for another person to sort of take the first step and uh, do the first aggressive action and, and Iran of course wants it to be someone else. So they, they will continue with small probing attacks and, and basically attempting to get other countries to finally, you know, make a major first strike. Um, 
with the asphalt princess um uh after they couldn't uh take the ship to iran because the crew sabotaged the engines um yeah the, the they abandoned the ship so they wouldn't be caught um in the act which is which is definitely um goes back to that establishment of iran basically wants to have this a slight level of plausible deniability where they can say you know we weren't directly responsible for this or oh this must have been another actor in the region um and and so it's it's everyone's sort of playing this game of chicken except one person is you know kicking rocks at everyone else in the room so i think um at, at this point uh looking at the um the whole golden brilliant situation um uh, uh as well with um uh that there was a duty officer who who saw a low flying um drone in the area which which actually may end up being one of the signs um of a direct iranian involvement um initially a lot of us and i think um john you had mentioned this um uh that this might have been an attack committed by sort of a faction within the irgc that that did, wasn't actually under direct control from the Iranian government. Um, did you want to talk about that a tiny bit more? Yeah, I mean, the, the timing of the attack yesterday um, was interesting because obviously Iran has just gotten a new president. Um, and I think, generally speaking, the impression was that it was possibly a case of the Iran Revolutionary Guard Corps were either acting of their own volition or the new president had pretty much straight away decided he wanted to test the waters and see, you know, what he could get away with. Um, as you say, you know, th there was an officer on board. Uh, the what was the ship called? The Golden. Uh, it was the Golden Brilliant. The Golden Brilliant, who saw the Iranian drone, or at least one Iranian drone, uh, fly past, seemingly scouting the ship out. Um, and obviously proceeding south towards um, the, the ship that was then attacked. And they notified the UK MTO, and obviously things developed from there. But Iran has been very, very, very clear uh, that it is denying all involvement in these attacks, um, they are trying very, very desperately in some cases to distance themselves um, and not making themselves look too great in the process. Um, one of their spokespersons, for example, pretty much said, yeah, no, we didn't do it, but if we had done it, this is the sort of thing we would have done. Um, which is not a good look for Iran. Um, he then went on to say, oh, you know, we've, we've got all these... Uh, ships on standby to rescue sailors if needs be and and so on um i think it will be interesting to see what the what evidence the israelis bring before the un for obviously the attack on the mercer street last week and then this uh, second attack yesterday um but i think at the moment it's fair to say that um the uk maritime trade organization is pretty much controlling the story and, and 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 all the details surrounding it uh in the media um particularly for yesterday's attack because 
although they've not said an awful lot and, and, and we woke up this morning to the news that the incident was declared over and the Iranians had supposedly abandoned the ship um, details as to exactly how, why, what have been very very hard to come by yeah, the the W's of the situation, you know, who, what, when, where, why, and um, we we know the how at least at this point. Um, we know that it there was at least one small boat involved. Um, from what the reports were, um, that were heard over the radio to the UAE um, Coast Guard, was that it was um six or five to six Iranians um armed who boarded the ship. Um, the crew did a fairly, you know, heroic thing and actually sabotaged their own engines so that the, um, Iranians couldn't, um, sail back to, uh, um, back into Iranian territorial waters, which, uh, that, that explains why the ship was only moving at about one knot, um, almost drifting, um, to the north. Um, but, uh, going back to the, the whole levels of involvement, um, when it comes to maritime stuff, uh, in Iran, there are there are two organizations. There's the IRGC, and then there's the Iranian Navy. Um, the IRGCN, which is the Iranian Guard Corps um, Navy, um, is primarily small boats, almost paramilitary, um, with with sort of uh, the IRGC has a certain level of um, autonomy inside the uh, inside the Iranian government which gives them a lot of ability to act without um uh, without sanction or without permission from from higher ups uh in in the government so the president um doesn't always have the the highest level of control we saw that with Rouhani um and and we saw that with other Iranian leaders was that they the the IRGC especially when Soleimani was in charge had a lot of um, room to play and to order their own operations, which again is why the leadership of the IRGC has been so important for the Ayatollah to control and to um, appoint. So usually the leader of the IRGC um, sort of serves as a direct representative of the Ayatollah um, in that role. And then, um, but at, at the lower levels, because of this sort of um, near paramilitary makeup, um, the IRGC has this uh, has this ability, and it it has the ability to act um, when senior leadership is decapitated. But at the same time, that ability to act independently can also lead to actors um, individually taking action if they want something to happen. So, if there was a regional commander who say wanted something to kick off. Um, he might have, you know, sent out a few guys in a boat and, you know, a drone to go find a ship to take back. Um, and we, we've sort of we've seen this before. Um, in general, it was thought that the um, that the Global Hawk shoot down over um, the Strait of Hormuz um, may have not been officially sanctioned by the Iranian government. Um, and, and that that was a big one where um, the U.S., I know Trump said he didn't want to respond because, um, you know, all the potential deaths it might cause. It was most likely because the attack itself wasn't directly sanctioned. Hmm. Um, and and so when seeing Iranian actions, and again, this is probably why the U.S. is partially taking the cautious tone right now, um, is because um, we don't, we aren't sure yet how... 
high up the order went. If it came from the top, if someone, you know, in the top of the IRGC sanctioned this attack, this definitely gives a lot more credence to the Israeli um, plan of, you know, a harsher response versus the U.S. plan of, um, of, of a lighter response. Because, again, you don't want to bow to what, you know, some local commander wanted the U.S. to do, you know. Let's yeah. cause an issue and let's make something bad happen. Um, and so we 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 sort of saw that, or we don't know yet. The drone lends some credence that this potentially involved multiple groups of um, IRGC soldiers. So it, you know, indicates some higher level of commanding involvement. But, but apart from that, again, that's probably what... Um, the intelligence community uh, in the U.S. and the U.K. and and most likely in Israel as well is is trying to figure out. Yeah, and as you say, and, if, and if it is an order that has come from the very top of of the IRGC or or, or even from uh, the political overlords uh, in Iran, maybe even directly from the new president, Mr. Rizi himself, um, it's it's a huge difference to whether it's just a low-level attack by a, a rogue commander, so to speak. Um, and to a certain extent, the US and Israel and, and the UK will have to be able to prove where the orders come from at the UN in order to justify whatever retaliation they decide to carry out. Yeah, that's that's definitely an element. Um and it does seem like uh, Gantz is at the UN right now sort of trying to give a justification. Um, it is also uh, good to remember that um, that Rizzi has not formed a government yet. Um, so he doesn't exactly have as much domestic control over the country right now as he normally would. Um, so this may be the IRGC sort of demonstrating to him that they have, you know, a certain level of control over the country. Um or it may be, again, he is a hardliner. Um, we There isn't much known about him apart from the fact that he is very loyal to the Ayatollah. Um, he was from the Soleimani camp. Um, he definitely was prepared to institute his own level of, you know, of control that was, was more similar to what the Ayatollah and, and to what uh, uh, formerly alive Soleimani would have wanted. Um, but... It, Again, we, we, of course, do not know what politically is happening inside the higher echelon, echelons of Iranian politics. Mm. We have no idea. At this point, I probably don't think the U.S. or the U.K. has a good idea yet because we would see either stronger statements of, you know, we're going to move forward with um, a peaceful revolution or you would have seen some sort of harder response. So at this point, I think a lot of uh, countries in the region are sort of trying to figure out what's happening. Um, and, and of course, uh, 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 the, the Saudis um, have, have made their themselves clear, but they don't exactly have the, um, not the ability per se, but, but the political will right now to, um, to directly form some sort of response against Iran. Yeah, and, and, and in the Saudis' case, that's obviously partly because they are so heavily involved in fighting in Yemen still, and also because uh, in the wider Middle East, as much as tensions between Israel and the Arab countries have softened in recent months, um, it's fair to say that there are still a number of 
uh, of Arab countries who are still very, very close to Iran, um, or at the very least are diplomatically on good terms with them. And so if the US and Israel want to try and get those countries on side, they are going to have a bit of a fight with it. Um, and they are likely to have to try and negotiate with those countries as to what kind of response will be acceptable. Because ultimately, if, if, if the response is viewed in Iran as being over the top and things continue to escalate, those other countries are going to want to have a say in whatever action takes place. And, and, and obviously, they'll want to be prepared for any fallout should that occur. Yeah, and, and of course, when it comes to politics and any sort of response, you know, stuff isn't black and white. Big, big shocker, I know. Um, but it's it's something that that a lot of countries have to balance with any potential response, and it's why things you know take time. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of people you know want to see some sort of immediate response, but the immediate response in this situation was sailing you know the Iwo Jima amphibious response group down to where the incident took place and you know basically parking it there which is what it seems like um they did um so that that was the immediate response and now multiple countries are trying to formulate a response more in the long term of course i think israel's sort of given out you know sort of this uh with their speech at the un um saying that iran's about 10 weeks away from having enough fizzle material to to construct a, a nuclear device mm. um I, I think they've sort of sent th set the longer term deadline for the other Western countries to sort of get together and do something. Um, so that's that's sort of um, that that's sort of our our end deadline for something to happen. Um, but but at this point, um, there's there's a lot we can potentially see until then, and I I think. The current U.S. administration definitely wants to exhaust every single diplomatic option um, before they they actually move forward um, with with any sort of other options. Um, and, you know, whether or not that is the best move, that's what they're going to be doing. Um, and, and I think definitely the Israelis are not as happy with that. Um and and that's why they've they've set this this sort of this ten week deadline at the UN, um, which is which is what this this seems to be sort of forming together as, um, and and I think of course I I can't speak as well to sort of the internal British sort of political um, ideas over this. I think I I think uh, John you would be a bit better at um, speaking to that, but just sort of. I guess internal feelings also definitely um, color the way any potential response would be. I, I don't know if you can talk to that better than I can. I, I think it's fair to say that the the news, obviously, of, of the British death um, has not um, played as majorly in UK media as I would have imagined. Um, it featured very lightly at the very lightly at the start of basically informing you at such and such this this is what happened and then when they bring it up it's just it's it's brung up as basically a fleeting mention just a, just as an art oh, by the way it killed a british person kind of attitude yeah it's um there's been very little said um other than perhaps by the foreign secretary obviously Dominic Martin, uh, who has made uh repeated statements um all of which have been somewhat subdued in 
nature and, uh, you know. Um, unfortunately, that's not a surprise. Um, I'm just looking at Twitter now and uh, the US Secretary of State has uh, tweeted again um, to say that he's reiterated his condolences to Dominic Raab um, for the loss of the UK citizen. Um, worth saying that we do now know the identity of the UK citizen. Um, he is ex-British Army, um, worked for the security firm in question. Um, I did have his name written down somewhere. Let me see if I can find that. Uh, it is um, uh, Adrian Underwood. Yeah, Adrian Underwood. Um, I haven't been able to find much about his military <coughs> service, but obviously, like I say, ex-British Army. Um, and the uh, the UK Chief of the de Defence Staff, uh, General Nick Carter, has uh, obviously issued a statement in relation to that and, and expressed his condolences, obviously, to the family. Um, Adrian was a married father of one, um, so no doubt his family are feeling uh, that loss quite keenly right now. Yeah, and and there there is a fundraiser which I'm I'm working to authenticate, and I I will um, post once I'm able to. Um, just haven't entirely been uh, uh, able to do that yet. But um, on, on top of that, uh, I, I think this is definitely um, this is definitely something that moved the British public less than I thought it would. Um, at least you know, as an external observer, um, at least the the American sort of red line, at least set out by the Trump administration, was no American deaths. Um, I'm not sure how that continued over into the Biden administration. Nothing really um, uh, uh, established with uh, nothing really was established on that um, clearly. But um, I, it's definitely something that maybe because he was a maritime security officer and you know that sort of comes with the trade i guess um but uh, it, it's just it, the the public reaction to this was not one that i expected um coming into this and maybe i sort of need to reframe my view on sort of um how i guess the media wanted to portray this or it's not even how the media wanted to portray, portray this at this point but um but but more so, um, even even the British public at large, um, watching social media and and, and watching um, at least the social channels I'm familiar with um, uh, in England, um, it really didn't seem like there was too much of an outcry or or response. Um, but on, on top of that, uh, you know, uh, the British government has has made definite statements about some sort of response, as as much. Um, as I've seen so far on on any individual events, obviously um, the the head of the British Army said that a response is coming. Um, mm. What that may be, I'm not sure. Again, the U.S. has you know quote put the U.K. in charge of any response or or, or let the U.K. take the lead on it. Um, I, I'm I'm not entirely sure whether or not uh, they they've also said the U.K. is taking the lead on militarily you know responding. So um, you know any sort of potential strike or whatever um but at, at this point a lot of countries are afraid to take action um against iran just due to the nature of you know the ability of iran to control the strait of hormuz and at this point with their ability to project drone attacks out hundreds of miles away from iranian borders um 
so uh, we've just we've we've seen this sort of this level of um of of response and and at this point again you know uh, trying to seize a shit to trying to seize an asphalt tanker and and failing most likely at least on the u.s end of things isn't going to provoke a full response yet um i i think the israelis have sort of outlined what they believe um is a necessary response but but at this point you know i'm just i'm not sure any country really has the political motivation per se to um to actually respond yeah. um and of course, Iran, you know, with their provocative actions, is trying to bait some sort of conflict, whether that be, um, you know, to establish the new president or to avoid internal issues. Um, so, you know, it, it all depends on on what steps Iran is going to take. I think Iran definitely has control right now of what sort of escalation we see. And I, I don't know whether Iran. or not you... I was going to say, sort of agree, because Iran at the moment could continue, at the moment, it's got nothing to say that why they wouldn't continue to push and prod and see how far they can, they can, they can truly go, so they could escalate it a step further any time they want right now. Yeah, and I, I think it's this, this sort of established um, idea that as long as Iran isn't causing massive issues, you know, actually affecting, you know, tanker traffic and i i was i i took a look at um at at, at both um how insurance rates are doing on ta on tankers um and general shipping in the area and it hasn't really skyrocketed yet so i mean i i don't usually like saying this but there is no economic incentive i i know you know we all try to you know say sanctity sanctity of life and you know revenge for um you know uh, uh, acting against uh, a country's citizens, but at, at some point there, there's got to be the money there. There's got to be, you know, some level of economic incentive to do that. And they're just, there's a lot of negatives for fighting against Iran. And there really aren't that many positives at the moment. If Iran changes and starts taking this more aggressive approach um, than they have so far, then yes, I absolutely believe we'll see a larger scale response. But until then, the economic um, ramifications of a large scale response, the, the, the cost benefit just isn't there yet. I mean, again, I'll separate my own personal views about what should happen, you know, preemptively against Iran versus, you know, what I believe the general assessment in the west is but from what we've seen you know uh, again uh, the israeli opinion is definitely different they you know have this hard line iran cannot acquire nuclear weapons but in the west it's definitely not the same uh, yeah. assessment it's it's if iran starts practically threatening you know that that property and that um that potential trade in the region. Yeah, and, and obviously for Israel, it's a case of they know that if Iran obtains nuclear weapons, that immediately becomes more of a threat to them. Whereas I feel like particularly the UK and the US are not that, that they don't have that level of concern because they're not geographically that close and they're obviously not, you know, that much of a sworn enemy as much as, as much as the US has 
caused Iran a great deal of uh, anger, and or, or at least the Iranian government a great deal of anger in the last few years, particularly during the Trump administration. Um, I think realistically, if, if if Iran does obtain a nuclear weapon and, and does decide to use nuclear weapons, Israel is going to be the target, you know, every, every single time. Um, and obviously, you know, it, Israel is entirely correct to be concerned about that and to be fighting to try and ensure that Iran does not get nuclear weapons. Um, and and, and we've, we, we've spoken about the fact that at the minute the US is very focused, almost too focused, on trying to return to this JCPOA uh, agreement, this the, the nuclear deal that they are uh, so desperate to, you know, keep active and and to bring back from the days of Obama, um, and, and and you kind of have to wonder at this point, you know, if if Iran is so close to nuclear weapons, what is the point in having a nuclear deal? Because the the whole point of the nuclear deal was to prevent Iran getting nuclear weapons, and yet they're going to get them anyway. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> I, I, again, I'm going back to the the whole idea that the you sort of have to start with the idea that the U.S. does not want to go to war with Iran. Like that, that would be the absolute last case scenario. Um, and so, sort of, at least the idea, at least among the sort of the the Obama Biden group of people that that sort of you know foreign policy think tank um, group of people um, is that you will take all the necessary actions you need in order to delay a potential war or conflict or, or even prevent it and to only use war in the la- in the you know as the last possible option um and and so they will continue to try taking diplomatic steps until you know war becomes basically inevitable and there will be no or they will try to avoid as much as possible any sort of preemptive strike or or escalation per se um it, it's this idea that only responses really in this case are warranted um and and so you you have this this general idea at least in the u.s foreign policy sort of machine um which is which is sort of why the u.s again is letting the uk take the lead on this um because they they want this more measured response and they want this more minor response because when we think about it i mean i know you guys probably have a better idea of this than me but but what practical if the uk had to formulate a response on its own what practical response could we even see from a uk perspective practical response nothing kinetic i I just that, that just isn't the appetite yeah, um, yeah, probably gonna look at more just like the the discuss they discussed cyber attacks, but they said our oh, cyber attacks are on the table. But then again, if you're gonna launch a cyber attack, you ain't gonna see you're gonna do one, are you? Well, it's not even that. I mean, what practical ramifications of a cyber attack could there be? I, I'm just I'm I'm trying to think. You know, it, it it's not like Iran is you know a third world backwards country, but what what damage could you do to the iranian military or the iranian sort of security and terror apparatus through some sort of cyber attack 
I think it's hard to say because obviously we, we don't know specifically what would be considered as a target uh, for a cyber attack. Um, obviously, the UK has, has only recently <laughs> stood up this national cyber force, um, which is intended to sort of carry out the offensive side of uh, cyber activity. Probably going to look at more. I was going to say, you'd probably be looking at more sort of like infrastructure based stuff, power plants. Mm. IT networks, cell cell phone communications. And I think yeah, it's I, I mean, I as well that the fact that the statements from the UK have been limited to the foreign secretary. So we haven't, uh, as far as I'm aware, we haven't had any statement from the prime minister. We've not had any statement from uh, defence secretary or you know pretty much anyone else in sort of the the, the heads of government. Um, it has literally been the Foreign Secretary and the Chief of the General Staff making brief statements. I don't think we will see a response um, from the UK, um, whether it be kinetic or cyber. I, 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 I just don't see the political will being there. Um, obviously, the UK carrier strike group is now well away from the region um, and won't be returning until they start the return journey later this year so that's not even a you know a show of force option there um yeah and i will comment on on the the ongoing debate in the chat right now but um iran sort of has this two-tiered strategy of their their first bottom tier is relying on terror actions and this sort of low speed um very very light kinetic um series of uh, of actions against regional actors like utilizing um hezbollah and utilizing the houthis to both harass um israel and and um saudi arabia but but their actual war strategy is um if i were to compare it more to another um actual example would be the the japanese decisive battle doctrine on um, the kentai kesson um, of they basically Iran would have to win the first battle of any war um, in order to actually make that war work. And I think that's the current thinking inside the Iranian military apparatus and sort of the, the Iranian foreign apparatus would be sort of basically coming up with initial victory that is so strong that Western countries and uh, Israel's allies especially would consider a war and unfeasible um making making a long-term war impossible because iran cannot win this long-term conflict they they sort of have to win this first decisive battle um i.e something like uh, uh knocking out uh, an american carrier strike group in the area and mining the straits of hormuz they sort of without decisive action like that they really cannot win a longer term conflict at all um, and so I, I think, and that is from what I have, um, from what I've understood, that is what the sort of current Iranian thinking is, um, versus what it was back in the, you know, eighties fighting Iraq, where it was more this long-term slow, almost world war one style meat grinder. Um, and that, that definitely did damage a lot of the people who are in charge now, um, into, you know, almost not accepting something like that as a possible option. And then I guess, um, 
I I just I feel like the current sort of status quo um, at this point is uh, is this established um, is this established positioning, and I don't think any country really wants to be the first one to change it. Um, which is why Iran is going to continue what they've been doing for the past 20 years. Israel is going to continue to, um, I guess, prepare for this, this action against Iran that they probably have been preparing for, for 20 years, um, to eventually, uh, counter this potential Iranian, you know, nuclear uh, expansion and this, this, this acquisition of a nuclear weapon, because, that that sort of nuclear weapon and the the acquisition of nuclear weapons sort of does fit in fairly well to that that Iranian idea of of having this one decisive action that that, that wins them any long term conflict before it even really starts. Um, so so that idea of of starting and ending the war really really in one day um, or one week uh, gives them gives them this sort of. Uh, this this established or or this not established per se but but this this pervasive idea um that that they have that that if they are able to win that entire war in one day or one week they will sort of be able to control the situation um and i i don't know if you guys sort of disagree or agree with me on that one but that's that's sort of the the outside observer view i have of this situation at least right now hmm. And, and I think this is what the Israelis also work on the assumption of, of uh, they, they have this sort of, um, they, they sort of have this, um, this idea that, that if they're able to con, or if they're able to stop any potential Iranian decisive action before it happens, they'll win it because they can fight this sort of, this, this low grade Iranian action, you know, with, the deployment of the iron dome and with um sort of intense idf action they're they're able to counter the the low the low grade sort of kinetic stuff that iran is doing um but it but it's all about preventing the 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 sort of the 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 zero day event of of whatever iran is playing planning whether that be striking iranian nuclear facilities or or countering the ability of iran to build nuclear weapons or or sort of assassinating Iranian leadership and and working with the U.S. to sort of counter, um, you know, the best of what Iran is able to put together, which is what we saw, you know, with the Soleimani strike. Um, though, granted, the Soleimani strike is a whole other can of worms that would require an entire podcast probably to talk about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sort of... As long as both sides, and I think the current U.S. view is, as long as they can keep the Middle East sort of this this low-speed, you know, tit-for-tat conflict, it's fine. As long as everything doesn't blow up, which means, you know, I, when eventually the Israelis have to, you know, finish the job of preventing Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons, um, you know, it's sort of this, the, this these two sides of the coin right now is the U.S. is going for the diplomatic option. And the Israelis are planning for whatever kinetic option has to happen. Um, and that sort of has changed based on whatever administration is in power. But at, at this point, I, I sort of have this belief that the U.S. is sort of going on the assumption that if the nuclear deal fails or, or if any potential deal doesn't come together, the Israelis will sort of 
be there to to counter any Iranian action with sort of kinetic with a kinetic response. Um, so so basically, the U.S. gets the benefit of of both sides of of both being able to be the the peacemaker in the region, and they also would you know if things fall apart, they don't necessarily have to be the ones attacking Iran in in, in the first place, yeah. which is sort of why I believe that the um, the attack against um, uh, against uh, uh, the asphalt, pr- the hijacking of the the asphalt princess, and the um, the attack against the Mercer Street won't necessarily end in a kinetic response unless it is some form of you know continuing that status quo tit for tat. So, it, the possibly the you know the worst or sorry, the biggest escalation I could see would be, I don't know, maybe a strike on whatever drone team was responsible or whatever launch vehicles were responsible for the Mercer street attack. I, I just, I don't know if you guys think there's another possible option, but that's, that's what I think is the most possible kinetic response. Yeah. I'm, I'm inclined um, and, to agree. And, Go on. Yeah, to, to answer the, the, the chat question, um, it, the kinetic response would be small. It, it would definitely be small in scale just because, you know, keeping to that sort of tit-for-tat motion. Um, the Israelis did establish who was responsible most likely for the drone attack. Um, so potentially attacking, you know, a UAV development site or a, a UAV launch site might be in order. Um, I would have to go back. I, I, um, I haven't been keeping up my, my map of Iranian facilities as well as I should have. Um, but there are definitely sites in, you know, Southern Iran, um, that if you wanted to actually hit them, you could to make a statement. Um, but the U S really doesn't want to risk the conflict, you know, spiraling out of control. So, it can you might see a kinetic action that's actually more reserved and, and less um less violent per se yeah and it's worth remembering obviously that in the last few instances where the israelis have wanted to target iran the us has very much been a force for sort of restricting how significant a response the israelis give um chances are we're going to see that again um you know like you say i can't imagine this response is going to be huge i very much doubt that as i said the uk will be any sort of kinetic response it would very much be leading i would imagine the diplomatic offensive at the un and elsewhere um the us is obviously kind of withdrawing from the middle east as 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 much as it can Um, we've obviously spoken before about afghanistan uh, and we'll come a little bit more to that again later but um yeah, I think the Israelis are very keen to respond, but I think particularly with the, the situation with the Mercer Street, the very fact that the the dead um, are British and Romanian and not Israeli um, has kind of perhaps cooled things down a little bit and, and has meant that the Israeli response hasn't been as immediate um, as perhaps it might have been. Yeah, and and the Israelis are also okay with continuing their ongoing tanker war. Um, 
you know, of, of this, uh, Israel is also prepared to play the asymmetric game of fighting Iran on their own turf of, you know, if Iran does a, a veiled attack on a ship, then Israel is going to do a veiled attack on a ship. So I, I believe if if we don't see some sort of solid kinetic response, I do think the Israelis will continue their their asymmetric um, tanker war going on right now. So they will continue, you know, striking Iranian tankers in the region. Um, and, and that's definitely something I, I believe will continue to happen. Um, whereas sort of the UK doesn't have that ace, I guess not the, it's not that they don't have the ability to conduct an asymmetric strike, but that that's sort of not in their, in their toolbox of, of, of foreign policy ideas yeah, it's, it's not um, standard operating procedure really is it for the uk whereas for israel yeah it's very much something they do regularly and and, and to great yeah and, and that's why i think israel is you know the best equipped to deal with situations like this is because they've they've basically built their entire you know foreign response modus operandi on countering actions like that um so they, they sort of have the ability to counter those actions. Um, and and again, that, that sort of pisses Iran off a lot because they Iran sort of wants this, you know, decisive event to happen and Israel isn't really giving them that opportunity. Um, because if Iran were to do something like unprovoked mine the Strait of Hormuz, they would have every country in the world come down on them. Even even countries like Russia and and probably China as well would would counter them in that in that you know in a circumstance like that because it's just it's it's unacceptable. It's this their their number one major response plan is unacceptable to a lot of other countries. On the other hand, if you know the U.S. or the U.K. or Israel was to directly strike them, then their response would be not justified per se but they would be able to continue receiving the backing backing from some countries um which is just something i i i see definitely it, it, it's just that that makes it such an untenable option for other countries to sort of do this kinetic response um because the potential downsides are very very large and the potential upsides i mean they really aren't there um, you aren't going to dislodge the Iranian regime with a single um, airstrike no. or, or a single set of strikes, and, and you aren't going to make major regime changes with with any sort of you know solid kinetic action. So it just it it, it it it's this terrible option to have, and it's something that no country really wants to do, apart from Israel, who will only take said kinetic action when it becomes the last choice, which they're saying is about say 10 weeks away yeah yeah that's the that's the that's the that's the base of basically the the entire situation right now i think we'll probably um just move on to afghanistan real quick before we wrap everything up for today mm. um so from what it looks like the taliban um are taking this very very intensive set of set of uh, offensives um, over the past week. Um, they ran out of some steam uh, over the past past month. They they stopped making huge gains, um, but recently they've they've launched a very major offensive in a number of different districts. Um, uh, I know uh, uh, 
uh, in the north of the country, they've made a lot of progress. Um, in the uh, uh, south of the country, uh, they've also um, made some progress in Kandahar. Um, we actually saw news today that uh, Marshall Dostum um, actually uh, has returned to the north of the country. Um, so there, there are some rumors that he intends to uh, start to put together um, some militias again to counter sort of the massive Taliban offensive in the north that, that has effectively sort of captured that former Northern Alliance territory um, that we saw was integral to the, the U.S. offensive in 2001. Um, so he's probably trying to get a jump on that situation as a whole. Um, and then we also saw the Taliban make uh, major offensive in Takhar, make major offensive gains in Takhar as well. Um, they're uh, in Takhar city. Um, it looks like they're getting very close to a, um, to a prison um, that is holding Taliban prisoners um, from the uh, uh through the uh, Afghan uh, security forces. So if they do that, that that's going to be a, somewhat of a loss. Um, I think uh, uh, there was a, a reporter, um, an Afghan reporter that basically said uh, the Taliban hit the, the panic button um, this week. And, and they're trying to put sort of this maximum pressure on the, uh, uh, on the regime or not the regime <laughs> calling it the regime is probably not, not the, not the greatest thing to call the current Afghan government. Uh, but um, we also, I, again, watching the, the state department press conference, um, it was very interesting. The current answer to, you know, why is the U S still in Doha when they believe that, you know, the Taliban is going to take Afghanistan anyway, there's no real point to be doing this negotiation you know, between the Afghan government, the U.S. and the Taliban, if the Taliban are making these massive gains and, and you know, intend to take Afghan militarily. Um, and, and the answer was basically um, no country that has been founded on or no government that was founded on a violent takeover has ever had legitimacy. And, and I just, I sort of, I, I found that answer um, very interesting because I can think of, probably 20 or 30 current governments or, yeah. or current nations that had a very violent or, or bloody takeover. I can just think um, the current Rwandan government is, is the first and foremost I can think of that had a, um, a, a very violent takeover that's actually ended with the country being successful and, and recognized internationally and, and sort of this, this reign of peace has, has broken out per se. Mm. Um, Vietnam. <laughs> that's that's one that that's another one that was mentioned at the press conference by a reporter um the the north vietnam invaded and took over south vietnam and, and fought the u.s off and now the u.s is uh, an i would say an ally at this point i mean we just sold actually didn't sell them we basically donated them a, a former coast guard cutter um to join their coast guard but I, I think the establishment that that no regime built on on violence can ever stand is is a very bad position to have because it's just it's not true. Um, but on top of that, it's it's sort of this this establishment that like, why are we negotiating with the Taliban? Why are we sort of sitting there, you know, 
in Doha, uh, you know, talking with them as, as they sort of have this diplomatic front as, as while well, back in Afghanistan, they, they continue to fight the Afghan government and, and intend to take over militarily. It just, it, it seems like there's sort of no point at the moment. Yeah. It, it's kind of baffling really that we, we've gotten to a point where, um, we are so desperate to get troops out of Afghanistan that we are actually negotiating. Um, and it, it doesn't send a good message either because at the end of the day, it's fair to say that troops went into Afghanistan to rid Afghanistan of the Taliban. Now, they obviously, you know, whatever your view on it, that has failed because the Taliban are still there and, and, and as you've said, they are growing again. Um and one has to wonder if, you know, we're going to see a similar situation in Syria and Iraq with uh, Daesh or, or, or ISIL um, in the years to come, because we've been there for seven years now. And that situation, it's fair to say, as much as they have been flattened and, and, and crushed in, in, in most of Syria and Iraq, they are not gone. Um and how long before political appetite for the fighting there expires and and we see a similar situation to Afghanistan? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, ISIS is a bit of a different situation in Iraq because a, a very large portion of the country um, does not or, or will never allow them to, to take over, um, which is sort of different in Afghanistan because a lot of Afghan people, it, it seems right now that... Um, they just want the fighting to be over. They, it's it's almost this level of fatigue where they're where they would be okay with the Taliban, and this goes for a lot of the more rural areas and and a lot of the areas outside of Kabul that have seen and and taken the brunt of this fighting. Of they're really okay with any government as long as they just stop the fighting. Mm. Um, and they 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 don't care if it's the Taliban because of the Taliban to oh look it's Tom. Oh, hello Tom. Or, or or it's not Tom. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it's, how do, how do I put this? It, it, they just want the fighting to be over. They, they really don't care at this point, you know, who, you know, who's, who it is in charge or, or what rules they're going to make. They just don't want to be shot at anymore. Um, so that's, that's certainly a, a big part of the, a big part of the situation and why the Taliban has gotten more support is because, you know, once they've kicked the Afghan government forces out is, you know, there's no one left to fight. So the fighting inherently stops. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's this, this situation that's just, it's really sad to see of a lot of these people just, they just want the fighting to stop and they don't really care who does it. Um, which is why we haven't seen a lot of, of resistance, at least in these more rural occupied areas. It's, it's just, they, they don't want to fight anymore. Um, and then going back to the chat question, um, uh, if you've ever seen Lord of War, um, Nicolas Cage plays a, a black market arms dealer. And at the end, um, you know, not, I can't say without spoiling anything, um, but Turkey does our dirty work um, in the region. It's the same reason why we're friendly with Pakistan is because we need them to be on our side more than we need them to be on the other side. Um, they're, they're much more helpful, even with the shenanigans that they pull being allied with us than they do being allied with, you know, another country. Um, 
which uh, again, this this uh, the U.S. and and China fighting over Pakistan is definitely an example of that. Um, Pakistan is is this key player in the region, um, and uh, keeping them on our side, at least politically and economically, and and especially militarily, is much better than having them on another side. Um, and it, it's it's sort of this this established you know status quo of if we lose turkey to say russia that that's not something that nato really wants even though turkey is acting against nato interests in the region um so it's it's just it's it's the situation where they're better on our side than than being on someone else's side Hmm. um it sucks to see but you know it it happens um chat has uh, I'll I'll be answering chat questions all day. If if chat has any more questions, go ahead, fire them off, and I'll answer them. I don't usually get this opportunity, so 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 feel free to uh, feel free to ask us. Tweet at me if you want to. I'll I'll also I'll also answer questions that you tweet at me as well. Yeah. And I think I think the same can go for uh, for John as well. Um, he'll he'll answer some questions as as well. Yeah. Um, like, like like technical says just just tweet us or if you're in chat and you tweet us you chat can just, or, uh, there are ways to do this ping us in chat as well yeah because i mean i think we talked about all the news that already happened this week um of course the 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 pentagon shooting um it doesn't look like it was a terrorist attack um no, it, 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 it to to explain this um the pentagon transit center um the the pentagon transit center is is the metro station it's it's on pentagon property but it's outside the pentagon security zone it's sort of under the pentagon um outside the entrance area um so that that's where the this shooting occurred and it's it's very very sad to see um it happen obviously um it's it's something that definitely put pressure on the pentagon and, and 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 was not was not nice to see at all um questions oh i just got a question um okay so talking about what the u.s is going to be doing um politically in afghanistan um before the pullout so the u.s at this point i think has sort of capitulated on the idea that afghanistan is going to fall politically to another country i mean the u.s does not have the political will or motivation to sort of continue to be involved in in afghanistan at this point um I think worst case scenario politically, um, Afghanistan sort of, or the Taliban are competent enough to put together a country that is internationally recognized. And then um, we saw the Taliban leadership in Beijing meeting with the Chinese foreign minister. Um, the, the Taliban falling over to sort of that, that Chinese side in, in a diplomatic way, not in a you know military way. Not not with a military intervention, not with, you know, an invasion, but but China winning in Afghanistan diplomatically would not be a great situation. Um, I, I know some Muslim nations have, um, you know, uh, attacked China over um, the the Uyghurs and, and the, the detention and practical um, genocide against, you know, the, the Uyghur people in uh, Western China. But. Money speaks 
that the Chinese are able to have a lot of control over um, uh, over this sort of um, uh, over this area. And um, next question. Oh, thoughts on the U.S. handing uh, Kabul airport security over to Turkey? Um, Turkey, and, and I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, Turkey sort of has this unique um, diplomatic style um, that, or not diplomatic, but military inve- intervention style where um, uh, I think it's called the... Uh, the Berkar, or I, I'm not sure how you pronounce the name of the drone, um, diplomacy, um, where uh, effectively utilizing um, drone strikes and not that many actual people on the ground has worked really well for them, especially in um, northern Syria and um, also in uh, in Libya. So if they're able to translate that over into um, into Afghanistan and sort of keep this I guess bubble around Kabul uh in some sort of western form of control that will definitely they'll try to do that and I think the US is not confident per se that they can do that but it's Turkey's problem now. Um the the real issue with that is going to be um their ability to keep the Afghan government supplied and Kabul supplied basically only through an airport. I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't know how they're going to pull that out um or pull that off but but they might be able to the the issue is the taliban controls practically every international border crossing into afghanistan so it's sort of hard to to move supplies into there especially as a lot of um afghanistan's goods come from over the border from pakistan um and from the north uh, of from the former soviet republics as well um so yeah i i'm not entirely sure as I said, the main issue right now um, isn't a, a military fall um, in in Afghanistan. It's it's most likely going to be more of an economic collapse than predicated by a collapse of the government. Um, but you know, who, who knows? The the Turks have been able to pull off some some interesting achievements um, in the past, and I'm, and I'm sure they'll they'll also be able to into the future. Maybe who knows? Um, I don't know, John, if you have any thoughts about that as well. Well, just sort of sort of rely on me there to uh to do that. Um yeah, while we're waiting um on some more questions, ooh. <laughs> yeah, th- again, that that comes back to the 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 um the the whole principle of it all is is that utilizing again the the US at the end in the end in Afghanistan. I mean, Less people died um, in 2020 in in Afghanistan than um, uh, U.S. forces than uh, at Fort um, at Fort Hood in Texas. Um, so the the U.S. had sort of perfected this utilization of special operations um, combined with um, uh, 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 drone activity and um, supporting local Af- Afghan police. Um, and sort of putting together this this basically this remote warfare um and it was it was very low cost especially to human capital and human lives it was fairly low stress for the troops deployed there and um it it was successful again the taliban basically had this constant fear of if too many of them grouped together if too many of them met then you know you'd have a predator over them in about you know an hour or two with with a few hellfires and 
And it was this constant pressure on the Taliban sort of made it impossible for them to um, to actually put together an offensive. The second the U.S. stopped that, um, you know, things fell apart. The, the The whole thing holding the Taliban back was the lack of their ability to organize, mostly through the fact that, you know, if too many of them got together at any one time, they'd blow up. Um, so I, I think if the ship might have sailed on that for the Turks um, because the Taliban have sort of already put together this massive offensive um, and, and the Afghan, you know, military and the Afghan security forces are sort of falling apart. Um, we'll see if they're able to. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. But um, yeah, I think I think that's uh, that that's sort of where the situation is right now. Um, and moving into the future, I mean, interesting to watch. That's that's a horrifying thing to say. The people of Afghanistan are absolutely suffering horribly, mm-hmm. and I just I I'm you know, at some point they're gonna want the fighting to stop, and whoever can promise that to them and deliver on it is gonna win in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and it's just a it's that, a that Afghanistan has been facing it, it, it's effectively been in a civil war now for well over 40 years uh, probably closer to 50 years in total and it's not always been you know taliban and the u.s it's you know the u.s has only been involved for 20 years um the u.s is obviously now leaving and and, and the situation is not really much better than it was beforehand um in terms of the fact that there is still fighting ongoing, there is still no real political solution. And as you say, the Taliban are now very much a dominant force in the country. And the future doesn't look right. It's just, it's a genie that's very hard to put back in the bottle. Um, It took the US an actual invasion to turn it around. and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, the status quo today is very different than it was 20 years ago. Um, but, you know, who knows? And, and of course, it all, it all depends on what the Taliban are able to do. Um, yeah, that, 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 was a, that was a question um, uh, put forward at the press conference at the State Department yesterday. Um, you know, the, the, why are we sitting at, or why are various western countries sitting at the table in doha you know uh, still negotiating with the taliban as as they openly break the terms of any free negotiation um actively in afghanistan at the same time um and the answer to that seems to be um i i guess deny the reality of the situation i just i i don't really i don't really know how how to sort of balance the reality of the situation with with any sort of negotiation um happening in doha um and then turkey talking with taliban yeah yeah, potentially that the taliban sort of have this need to control the entirety of the country unless unless they come to an agreement where turkey can you know be some sort of economic sponsor though that will really piss the u.s off Mm. um because it, it, I, I don't think there's there's an agreement where the Taliban um, don't have control of the entirety of um, Afghanistan. And 
I mean, I don't think the U.S. would be happy if if the Turks came to some sort of economic or political agreement with the Taliban in order to, I mean, I, I don't see any agreement that wouldn't be some sort of sponsorship per se. Um, I, I see it much more of a situation where China is sort of going to swoop in um, and and become some sort of economic patron to whatever Taliban government springs up in um, Afghanistan. And that, that's something that we're going to have to see. Um, obviously, the Taliban meeting with the um, Chinese in Beijing was certainly a, uh, a an eye-opener about how much Chinese action there is in um, Afghanistan. And I wouldn't doubt it over the next few years if we learn that the Chinese have been doing a lot in Afghanistan. Um, that That's something I, I could potentially see yeah. come out that the, that the Chinese have had more to do in Afghanistan than, than we've actually openly seen. And especially now as the US withdraws, uh, China is very clearly uh, trying to help fill that vacuum um, in Afghanistan. And, and to be honest, with the US's current stance on China, it, it's kind of strange that they aren't more bothered by this. Um And, and and I will I will slightly disagree with that. I I do not think the Chinese are going to lose in Afghanistan because they're willing to work with the Taliban, um, and and that's something that the U.S. wasn't willing to do. The the Russians weren't willing to work with you know the the um the Mujahideen, and we're we're just I think it's more the fact that the Chinese are just willing to work with the devil on this in this situation, um. And they they've they've done it in the past. I'm 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 sure they'll they'll continue to do it in the future. I mean, you don't win by fighting in Afghanistan. You you win by you know influencing them. I mean, you could say Pakistan has has been one of the few countries to actually win in Afghanistan. Um, took them a while, but they eventually pulled it off. Mm. Um, and of course that that sort of Chinese Pakistani alliance in in Afghanistan would not hurt um the Chinese at all. And you know what? I I think that may be everything um, that we have to say for today. Mm. Um, we're gonna edit this and then throw it up on all the normal um, channels, so you will still be able to uh, listen to us again if you want to, or if you missed anything, um, it will it will be there. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your questions, your your chat, your your listening, and um, have a great day. Yeah.